Okay, so conflict, let's do this. <laughs> There's a whole spectrum of ways that we approach conflict, right? I think some of you probably, as soon as I gave you the heads up that this is what we were talking about, you're like checking, where are the emergency exits? How do I get out of here? Uh, and then there are others of you that are like, finally, bring it. This is going to be good. Like, <laughs> you'd have no problems with conflict. Um, and where you land on that spectrum from like conflict avoidant to conflict seeking probably has a lot to do with maybe how conflict was handled in your family growing up. I know that does for most of us. Uh, for example, when I was little growing up uh, and my little brother and I were fighting about something. <laughs> my, my mom doesn't know I'm going to talk about this. Um, she would make us hug it out and recite this verse, Ephesians 4.32, which I still know by heart in King James Version because that's what we did. And <laughs> be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest. Most of the time when I said that as a kid, we were, like, glaring at each other and gritting our teeth while we were saying it. <laughs> but it did kind of effectively shut down, you know, whatever we were arguing about. You know, we played the Jesus card. God's forgiven us. And I guess we have to do this thing, you know. <laughs> It didn't necessarily always, like, resolve the conflict. We just kind of stuffed it and moved on, which is probably why we ended up reciting that verse so many times, and I remember it now. I would say that my family, largely, uh, myself for sure, uh, were on the conflict-avoiding side of things. So you can imagine my surprise when I got married at 26 and discovered that not everyone approaches conflict the same way I did. <laughs> That was kind of a brave new world for both of us, to be honest. I will never forget, um, after you know, trying to adjust to this new reality, that uh, I was talking to my husband about it and talking uh, to my, my sister-in-law, who's a good friend of mine, and they both told me, if you're not willing to yell about it, you, it probably doesn't matter that much to you. <laughs> I was just not prepared for that at all. <laughs> What about you guys? Like, have you thought about this? How did, how did your family handle conflict when you were growing up? Or if you're a parent, like, how, how are you handling conflict and navigating that with your kids? I think we all got, like, a lot of extra practice with that in 2020 if we're parents to small children because they were all at home together for a while. And I know for me, like, I was a parent of two preschoolers at that time, and I'm trying to work from home, and I, I would have done just about anything to get them to get along for just a little bit so that I could get something done. I, I was this close to buying this thing that I saw on the internet. You guys see these? <laughs> the get along shirt, yes. These made the rounds on social media last year and I'm like, has anybody tried this? Have you tried this in your family? Nobody? I'm just wondering like, do they, do they make them in adult sizes? <laughs> just asking for a friend, I mean. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, um, I think we can all relate to this stuff. Like, we, we all have experienced conflict in our life, right? Conflict is inevitable. It's part of all of our lives. That's the bad news. So what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He engaged it with grace and truth. And by following his lead, we can stop fighting to win an argument and start fighting to win a relationship. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. 
Not at all. We have so many examples in scripture where Jesus engaged in these tense conflict situations, especially when it came to the religious leaders and the power brokers in his day who were always trying to control him or trap him in some way. But we also see that Jesus engaged with conflict with his closest friends and his followers. I wanna show you one example, and uh, there's no surprise here probably. It involves the disciple Peter. Now, last week, if you were here, you know that Peter was kind of our poster boy for what not to do. Uh, Peter was a pretty intense guy, (laughs) and so we have a lot of examples like this. Uh, But here we are again. Um, In Matthew 16, we see that Jesus had just told his disciples what was about to happen to him. He says, you know, they're going to capture me, they're going to torture me, I'm going to be killed, but then after that, I'm going to rise again. And Peter doesn't want Jesus talking about this at all, and so he decides to confront him on it. It says, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Those are not the words of a guy who avoids conflict, right? He is direct and clear with Peter. And it might seem to us when we just read this little piece that he's like, too direct, all truth, no grace, if you don't know the rest of the story. In Peter's story, yeah, Jesus knew this guy. He spent life with him. He knew that he was direct and impulsive and and the kind of person uh, who could get intense. He was also, so he was brutally honest with Peter in a lot of moments, but he was also relentlessly gracious with Peter. We see over and over again where Jesus called him back into close relationship with himself after every time that Peter doubted or denied him or just acted super impulsively. And in the end, Peter is actually the disciple that Jesus leaves in charge of the church and his followers when he leaves. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He engaged it with both grace and truth. And when we follow his lead, we can stop fighting to win an argument and start fighting to win the relationship. Like Peter, when we commit ourselves to spending time with Jesus so that we can learn from him how to live and love the way he does, we, we can learn the truth that conflict doesn't have to just be an inevitable part of our life, an unfortunate inevitability. Conflict can actually be a transformational opportunity, you guys. It can. Conflict becomes this fertile ground in which Jesus helps us grow in our ability to embody his love in the world. A love that for Jesus was marked by both grace and truth in full measure. This is, we we have these things around here, these 10 practices we call our 10 practices for becoming the change that God dreams for the world. And this is actually one of our practices. We say we embody grace and truth. I think we have this tendency when we think about grace and truth to think that the goal of a Jesus follower is to like balance the two of them, to make sure that we have the right amount so it's not too much truth, not too much grace. But as Jeremiah said when he taught on this back in the fall, Jesus didn't walk a tightrope between grace and truth. He fully embodies both at the very same time. So instead of us picturing grace and truth on this straight line continuum, We have a tool that helps us better understand this, and we call it the grace and truth matrix. They're going to bring it up right there. Yep. And this matrix helps us see and understand, like, the different choices that we get to make in how we respond to conflict. 
One response we often choose is false peace. This is for our conflict avoiders in the room. False peace is when we embody high grace, but we avoid the truth. And this is represented in uh, the lower or the upper left quadrant in a posture that we call hangout. I think most of us who find ourselves on the conflict avoidance side of things, choosing false peace, we, we, we think we're doing it for a good reason, right? We just want everybody to be happy and get along. The problem is that we end up avoiding difficult situations and problems because we're just trying to keep everything stable and serene. But in the end, we never get to experience true peace. The prophet Jeremiah talked about this when he said, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. True peace never comes from just hanging out, just pretending things are okay when they're not really okay, or turning a blind eye to injustices. In one of Jesus' most famous teachings, called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus isn't calling us to be peacekeepers here, is he? He calls us to be peacemakers. Peacekeepers will wear themselves out just trying not to ruffle feathers or, you know, get on anybody's bad side or rock the boat. Peacemakers, that's a whole different thing. I love the way that the New Living Translation uh, says this verse. It says, God blesses those who work for peace. We're called to be proactive, to proactively pursue peace by being willing to take on conflict directly. And we've, this, this whole series, we've been recommending a book um, from Pete and Jerry Scacero called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And in that, they say about false peace, true peacemakers love God, others, and themselves enough to disrupt false peace. You can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense. They must be exposed to the light and replaced with the truth. This is the mature and loving thing to do. And I think it's also the thing that Jesus would do, because we see him doing that. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He engaged it with both grace and truth. And by following his lead, we can stop fighting to win the argument and start fighting to win the relationship. But false peace isn't the only choice we have, right? That's not the only way that we, we sometimes deal with conflict. We also can choose to respond by fighting dirty. <laughs> Anybody want to admit to being on that side of the equation sometimes? <laughs> Some of us are like, I know that this is me. <laughs> A lot of times I think we're tempted to think that uh, fighting dirty is kind of the polar opposite of false peace. That instead of hangout, which was high grace and low truth, that it's down in this like, Lower quadrant here we call call out, low grace, all truth. <laughs> and it can be, it can be. We're operating from this kind of call out posture when we choose dirty fighting tactics like shouting. Like I, my question about shouting is like, has it ever really convinced someone to see your way and your point of view by just like saying it really loudly? I don't feel like that works in general. Um, Another one we use sometimes when we're in call-out is always never language. I gotta admit to this one, like we've all fallen prey to this sometimes, right? We drag up old hurts and resentments by hurling these grand accusations like, you always do this to me, or you never follow through on what you say you're gonna do. Here's the truth about this dirty fighting tactic. It never works. 
and you can always count on that. <laughs> when we're in call-out, we can, we can use all sorts of different dirty fighting tactics, things like sarcasm. We can use that in a way that's biting and hurtful and unloving. We can use passive aggression sometimes. But we also fight dirty when we slip into the bottom left quadrant. We call the bottom left quadrant call, or checkout. Call it checkout. Because that's when we're low on grace and truth. Like we're just checked out of all of it. And when we do that, we resort to dirty fighting techniques like denial. Like we'll just say, you know, I, I refuse to admit that I had anything to do with this, that I play any role in it. And then the conversation just stops there. We can't have any kind of constructive conversation when one person won't come to the table. Or silent treatment. Oh, when we refuse to even speak to the person. Like that communicates volumes, doesn't it? What about walking away? Walking away. Sometimes we literally just physically check out of the situation and we walk away from the conflict and the person that we love. Anybody see themselves in any of these dirty fighting tactics? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet that regardless of where we fall on this whole continuum, we all have one or more go-to moves when we choose to respond to conflict by fighting dirty. So it can be a really powerful first step for us to break out of the cycle by just noticing and naming, owning up to <laughs> the things that we do when we fight dirty. When we openly acknowledge the ways that we've either chosen false peace or we've chosen to fight dirty, it helps us move into the final quadrant of the grace and truth matrix. This is what we call call in. This is where we, we embody the full love of Jesus by leaning into high levels of grace and truth. It's also our third and final choice we have in responding to conflict. We can choose to fight cleanly. I know that uh, that sounds like an oxymoron. It's probably not something we've often experienced, uh, but a good, clean fight is possible. The Schizeros in the book I mentioned earlier, they define a clean fight as a negotiation between two people for the sake of their relationship. A negotiation for the sake of their relationship. I love that. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He engaged it with both grace and truth. And we get to follow his lead and stop fighting to win an argument and start fighting to win the relationship. We can choose to begin fighting for something, for someone. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Now, I think a hard truth that I need to stop and acknowledge here <laughs> is that there are going to be times where we do everything in our power to try to make peace, and the other person is just not interested in reconciling. And in those cases, our, our job is to make peace with ourselves and with God. And that's okay. Remember what Paul said. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes that's not in your power. And we have to leave that to God. But what does it look like for us to fight clean? What does it look like for us to embody grace and truth in our relationships and in our conflict? Well, I think it probably looks a lot like putting into practice the things we've been talking about this whole series. Like it, It's... Clarifying expectations, which is where we started in this series. Talking openly with each other about our needs and our preferences. And can I give you a little 
tip on this one in particular. When you're figuring out uh, how to clarify your expectations, make a commitment that you're going to talk to the person that you're in conflict with instead of about them to someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think fighting clean can also look like becoming more self-aware. We talked about this in the second week. When we become more self-aware, we, we begin to better understand the impact that we have on other people in relationships. And we can begin to manage that impact and make choices that help us express love in a way that's received and felt and seen. It can also be about the practice of listening incarnationally. I know this hit home for a lot of us. If our goal is to love like Jesus, even amid conflict, this one is super important. Because when we're fully present and we're listening intently to each other, we're not like in our heads trying to formulate our counterpoint, that other person is going to feel and experience our love and care. And that's an excellent foundation for being able to do, you know, the fighting cleanly thing, for being able to negotiate for the good of the relationship together. And then last week, we talked about bringing our true self. This means that we learn to see ourselves the way God sees us as unique creations that are made in his image and put here and in these relationships for a purpose. And when we can begin to see ourselves that way and see other people around us that way, it makes, us, it make, makes it so much easier for us to choose to fight cleanly. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He engaged it with grace and truth. By following his lead and committing ourselves to fighting cleanly, we can stop fighting to win an argument and start fighting to win the relationship. Now, as I was preparing for this message and I was spending some time reflecting on this good news, um, I found myself thinking about the idea of talking to someone instead of talking about someone. Um, and God had, has been challenging me to practice this all week. I've noticed it show up in really predictable ways and in some ways that were kind of unexpected for me. Um, I think the predictable ways are like, you know, we've all had those moments where all of a sudden something happens that frustrates us and you like grab your phone and you start to text a vent to a friend. And I would, I would notice that I was doing that. God would bring this commitment to mind and I delete the, what I typed. And instead I tried to take just a moment to, to pray and to talk to God about what I was feeling, to pray for the other person. And it's amazing just by doing that how much my like mood and perspective changed. Just taking that time to reorient my heart and my head around who God is. But I'm, I already mentioned this, I'm a conflict avoider by nature. So my first impulse usually in a conflict situation is not to like gossip or reach out and complain about someone to someone else. I'm more of like a repress and resent kind of gal. <laughs> but what that means when I do that whole repress and resent thing is that the voice in my head and in my heart can get pretty toxic. And I find myself just replaying situations over and over in my head. And I allow that unresolved conflict to kind of fester there. And I feel like what God said to me about this internal dialogue this week is that it's just another way that I'm talking about someone instead of talking to them. Which meant I had to suck it up because I'm preaching on this this week. Practice what I preach. Be willing to engage in some hard conversations for the sake of the relationship. Now, was that a magic bullet that, like, instantly transformed all my relationships and they were conflict-free and totally at peace? No, <laughs> that's not quite how it worked. I'm still human, and on more than one occasion, I caught myself slipping back into my go-to dirty fighting techniques. 
And I had to apologize. That was awkward. But you know what did feel different this week? That voice in my head that just screams at me all the time that it's all up to me and I have to fix this all right now. That voice seemed to quiet this week. It lost a little steam because I was regularly reminded that God cares more about me and the situation and the other person than I ever could. And that he's not afraid of engaging the hard things. He's not. In him, I already have all the love and grace and truth that I need. So it was an invitation for me to stop holding on so tightly and instead to allow the love that I'm receiving from him to flow through me to the people that I encounter in my week. What about you guys? I wonder if God might be inviting you to surrender to his love as well. To open yourself up to experience his love so that you can embody his grace and truth in your relationships. We like to not just talk about these things, but actually practice them around here. So I want us to take a few moments to reflect and practice some of this. In your seats, just go ahead and close your eyes, if you would. And I want you to take some deep breaths. It's very possible that, as we've talked about this, um, you've had some specific conflict situations coming to mind. And if that's the case, you may be feeling some tension or some fear in your bodies right now. I want you to take a moment to just pay attention to where you feel that tension. I want you to name to God what you're feeling about it. Maybe just talk to him for a second about the conflict that's on your mind. As you're taking some deep breaths, I want you to focus on your exhale right now. And as you're exhaling, I want you to release that tension, to practice releasing that to God, surrendering it to him. Maybe as you're exhaling, you need to name to him how you've chosen false peace or the ways you've chosen to to fight dirty in some of these conflict situations. But just focus on the exhale and on letting go of the tension that you're feeling and these false choices that we've made in conflict. And now I'd like you to shift and focus on your inhale. And as you take some deep breaths in, I want you to visualize yourself breathing in God's presence and his love for you. Because the truth is, guys, God is with us all the time. His love is constant and consistent. And it's available to us not just now when we're in a church building, but when we're out in our regular week and we're experiencing conflict with others. 
So as you breathe in, just remind yourself of his love, of his grace and his truth. We have to experience that love for ourselves so that we can embody that in these relationships. Just take a moment to sit in his presence and remember his love for you. God, we're so thankful for the example in the life and love of Jesus. That we can read your word and see that Jesus never avoided conflict, but that he did engage those situations with grace and truth. And that you invite us every day to follow in his lead. I pray that this week, as we interact with people and we may be back in situations that are tense, that we would remember that we have a choice to fight to win an argument or to fight to win the relationship. I pray that you'd give us the courage to choose to see people, ourselves and others, the way you see us. To choose to fight for that person and for that relationship. I pray more than anything that you would help us see and experience your love in ways that just spill out into all of our relationships so that we too can embody your grace and truth as we engage these conflict situations. Help us to remember this and to practice this this week. In your name, amen.